Amen. We're going to start here in John chapter number 16, and, and, and we're going to begin in verse number 33, but what we're looking at is where are we prophetically in the world today? Where are we on God's prophetic calendar, and what's going on in the world right now? What we see going on in the world as we live is that it is changing by the hour. There are things going on that we've never seen go on. There are changes taking place that we've never seen take place. There are um, things that could be could happen that we never dreamed could happen. We're we're a, a stone's throw away from from total government control of the nation. And one of the things that I want you to see is that all of these things are are written in Scripture. There, there is a way that God's going to shake this all out until the Lord returns. And we are seeing more and more uh, prophecies come to pass. Um, well, we're going to begin in, in John 16, verse 33. How many of you have ever heard of the tribulation? The, the, the tribulation is, is one of those words that gets thrown around, and if you're not careful, somebody can uh, mislead you with that word tribulation. Uh, the, the reason that people can mislead us is because, um, you know, how many of you know sometimes people don't tell us the rest of the story? There used to be a guy, Paul Harvey, he had a thing on the radio and he'd say, here's the rest of the story or, or something like that. It, and, and so when somebody talks about the tribulation, one of the things that they say is that sometimes we hear something, we pick it up, but we don't understand it in its full context, okay? So when you hear a, a, a Bible teacher or somebody talking about prophetic things and they say the tribulation, understand tribulation has been promised to every believer throughout every generation. Tribulation is nothing new if you stand for Christ. You, in fact, you should be experiencing some form or fashion of tribulation or you're taking the light and hiding it under a bushel. And we in America have been blessed by God's protection. God has blessed our country. We've had, for the most part, some godly leaders, and we've had God's hand on the nation. I believe that the main reason God has blessed America is we are the largest exporter of missionaries in the world, and we publish the gospel. I mean, you, I, I was criticizing, you know, everybody's doing all these Facebook church things, and but you know what? At least we're getting the gospel out we we get the gospel out there now I, I take issue with a lot of gospels that's being preached y'all know that but but at least the words going out amen now the word tribulation like I said it gets thrown around and and, and, and sometimes we say the tribulations coming but tribulations been here it's always been here and it's always going to be here the difference is that there's going to be a change in where the tribulation comes from and who it goes to. That's the difference. So I want you to not be misled because people that don't understand the, the breadth of Scripture and dispensations and things like that, they're going to get tripped up by these words. So look at verse 33 
Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. That's all right, amen? Whenever you see that on a bumper sticker, it'll say 1633A. <laughs> Whenever somebody breaks up a scripture like that, I'm always like, I look at them, you know, like weird. But 1633A is good. But the rest of the story comes next. He said, in, in, in me, you might have peace. Look at the next part. In the world, you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, most, most worldly folks or somebody in the flesh, somebody still struggling with dying to self, they're going to say, I'll be of good cheer when I don't have tribulation. But Jesus said, you should have good cheer because he overcame the world that is giving you tribulation. The, the, the only, see, the, the Bible in Job, whenever Job was, was, you know, deliberating with his friends about God and they were just talking philosophy about God, God corrected Job and, and God told Job, he's the one that told the ocean it can only come this far. And then it's got to go back. You have to understand God's in control of every area of our lives. God can, God allows the enemy to only come so far. But once it comes to that bloodline of Jesus Christ, the enemy cannot cross it. He cannot touch what's under the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we, we will experience some tribulation, but we are victorious in Jesus. We stand victorious despite what's going on in our lives. We stand by faith. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. And so when it comes to tribulation, we understand that there are things that we're going to experience in this life because there is something greater in us than in the world, and it hates the light that's in you. It hates the light that's in you. When you stand for the Lord, the world hates that, and so you will experience tribulation. So whenever we talk about the tribulation, you have to specify what you're talking about. Because once you begin to talk about prophetic things, somebody's going to say, well, that's silly. You don't have to wait for some seven-year tribulation, uh, you know, yada, yada. But that just shows that they don't understand dispensationally what we're talking about. Because the church was born in persecution. Every disciple was martyred. They tried to kill John several times. All the other disciples, they martyred. They killed him. Our ancestors in the faith were burned alive, de-headed, de-veined, de-blooded. They were killed. They were martyred. Our, the church is a blood-stained church. We were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we stand on the blood of the martyrs who laid down their lives for the gospel. You read Fox's Books of Martyrs, it, it, it will stir your soul and, and challenge you to actually live your faith out. Don't hide the light under a bushel. This is the hour, as we saw, saw today, this is the hour to arise and shine. Amen. 
The, the world is getting darker by the hour and this is the time we're supposed to take the bushel off. Let the light of Jesus Christ be seen in this dark world. They need the light and they need us to shine it. So the tribulation that we're talking about in this verse is not a, a, a prophetic end time revelation. This is an everyday revelation. This is an everyday, this is, you know, when, when, when you stand for your principles, for your godly principles, you know that you can do anything in the world, you can even dress up like a drag queen and teach at the library, but if you go down there and you start preaching that Jesus is the only way to God, you're going to get thrown out and they're going to let the drag queen stay. You can preach anything and everything under the sun except for the exclusive gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's going to hang us. You want to preach a, a, a gospel that is co-equal with every other religion? They're not going to hate you. But it's when you preach that Jesus is God and the only God and the only way, the only truth and the only life, when you preach the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ, that's when they come after you. And when we're not proclaiming that, we're hiding the light under a bushel because the only light this world has is Jesus. And the only hope this world has is Jesus. And the church has the duty and the obligation to give Jesus to the world, not hide Jesus from the world. God didn't call you to, to hunker down. He called you to preach and teach the gospel from the corner of the world that you're in unto the end of the world, we're not called to hunker down, we're called to preach. And we have to expect when we preach the right gospel, the guns will come after us. Metaphorically or literally, however you want to take it. And so one of the things that you see here is that tribulation has always been there. It always will be. But there's a difference. There's a difference. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24, and we're going to see how this thing kind of kicks up a little bit. That's what uh, that guy Emerald says, right? We're going to kick it up a notch, or however he says it. But we're going we're gonna to see how things kind of get a little bit elevated here. So tribulation, and, and, and understand, I, I'm all for, you know, peace and prosperity and plus and plush, and I'm all for all that. But we have to understand with the exclusiveness of the gospel will also come the, the, the persecution of the saint because it, it, is, it is Jesus that they hate. The world rejected him. We can't, ex you know, if, if the world rejected Jesus but accepts us, there's a problem. There's a problem. So we see in, in, in Matthew 24, let's go down to verse 29. 
says immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now, what is it uh, about this that is unique? Well, one of the things I want you to see is that the Lord specifies that these, this is the tribulation of those days. Now, as you look at Matthew 24, this is the, this is the Olivet Discourse. One of the hallmarks of the Olivet Discourse is this is where Jesus is unfolding prophetically the things that are going to happen at the end. The disciples said, what is the sign of that coming and of the end days? Jesus' response, don't be deceived. Many are going to come in my name saying I am the Christ, right? This is it the beginning of it? And the hallmark of the Olivet Discourse, the, the point of reference that we have is that there's going to be tribulation. Jesus says after the tribulation of those days, this is a unique time period. There is a specific event in the Olivet Discourse that we can grab hold of as a point of reference. You want to understand prophetically where things are, a point of reference that we can grab hold of in this section. Now, if you'll, if you'll turn uh, backwards to verse number 15 or look up in your Bible to verse 15, here's your point of reference for the tribulation of those days. It's the abomination of desolation. The word of God says, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now pause right there. Jesus said, as a point of reference, there's an abomination of desolation that's going to take place during the tribulation of those days. Now we're talking about the end times. This is the Lord talking about the end time. He said there's going to be tribulation of those days. We have a point of reference, an exact event. And Jesus said it was spoken of by Daniel the prophet. Now, I know that you're a Bible student, so I'm going to let you guess. Which book of the Bible probably tells us where this event is at? If Jesus said it was spoken of by Daniel the prophet... Where should we look? Well, let's go over there and look in Daniel chapter 9. It's an amazing thing whenever you study the Bible. You can actually believe what the Lord says. And so when it comes to the end days, I call Daniel chapter 9 the roadmap of prophecy. Anything that we need to understand about God prophetically, we can get off the roadmap of Daniel chapter 9. Now, we're, we're not going to be able to get into all of this, but I encourage you to, to, to look and study from Daniel 9, 24, all the way down to 27. Concisely, what takes place here is God tells Daniel, there's going to be 70 weeks of years of judgment on Israel. How we know this is Jeremiah understood there was going to be 70 years. Daniel hears 70 weeks. 
So now we know it's 70 weeks of years. That's that's a group of seven-year windows. There's going to be 70 groups of seven-year windows. The amazing thing is here that Lord, the Lord tells us there's going to be a, a clock starter. The clock starter is the temple being rebuilt. So if you need a point of reference, understand Daniel was written in Babylon when there was no temple. There was no temple. Just like now, there's no temple in Israel. When Daniel got this message, there was no temple in Israel. And God said, when that begins, the clock begins. And from that day until the 483rd year of tribulation or punishment, that's going to be that, that clock, that window. But from that time that the temple started until Messiah is cut off is 483 years. This is in this passage. You can study this out. When Messiah is cut off, there's a, there is one seven-year window of time left. That one seven-year time is what has not happened yet. It is what is going to happen. That seven-year time is what prophetic teachers call the great tribulation. What more aptly is called is the time of Jacob's trouble or the last days or the, the 70th week of Daniel. However you want to phrase it, it's all the same thing. And so just to understand where we're at, we're looking for a last seven-year window. Let's move down to verse uh, 26. It says, after three score and two weeks, this is from the building of the temple and then the building of the wall of Jerusalem. Okay, there's a little uh, difference there. After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Somebody say, that was for me. All right. Messiah is going to be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. You know that it's still desolate because there's still not a temple there. In the Lord's eyes, it's still uninhabited. There's no temple there. Look at this. And he shall, this is, now in case you don't know, this is the Antichrist. So he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. This is that last seven-year window of judgment. The Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant with many for one week in the midst, somebody say midst. Okay, you got to hang on to that one. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice, and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations. Come on, Bible scholars. We read that, didn't we? Amen. We've got desolation, and we've got abomination in here. The, the, the oblation will cease, and the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So what's going to happen 
is that the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to establish a seven-year peace treaty. And in the middle of it, he's going to cause the abomination of desolations. So now we have a second point of reference for this same time period. The time period that Jesus said was the end, he pointed to this verse. And this verse points us to the Antichrist. Do you see that? There's going to be someone who establishes a seven-year peace treaty and then breaks it in the middle of it and causes an abomination to take place in the Lord's temple. And so Jesus points us to the abomination of desolation in Daniel. Daniel talks about the abomination of desolation, and he points to the Antichrist. Now, if we're going to study this out, our next obvious place to look at is going to be, let's go look at the Antichrist. Let's go look at the Antichrist. And the, the number one place that we're going to look for the Antichrist in the Word of God is going to be Revelation, what's that number? 13. If you had that sound in your head, it go dun, dun, dun. Revelation 13 is where we see the, the word of God expressing to us about the Antichrist. So a couple of things that we're going to see in this passage. We're not going to be able to go through every single verse in detail, but we're going to get it pretty broadly. Beginning in verse number one of chapter 13 of the Revelation. Now, it's not Revelations. The, 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 the book, that last book, it's not called Revelations. It's no S. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unfolding or the appearing of Christ. So, Revelation Chapter 13, verse 1, I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him power, the dragon being Satan. The dragon gave him power. So he's empowered by the devil and his seat and great authority. You know that the, 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 the devil um, has some authority here. Uh, the apostle Paul said the prince of the power of the air. Does that work? There, there is a power there, but there's a difference. When this antichrist comes in, the devil gives him his seat and great authority. Authority. This speaks of a governmental influence that the Antichrist exerts over people. This governmental influence is at work. Now, we know 1 John chapter 4, the Word of God tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world today, and that was 2,000 years ago. The spirit of the Antichrist is a coalescing of the world's governments under one person's great authority. 
So when you hear of governments joining up, when you hear of one world government, when you hear of this, uh, this flowing of governments under one control, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's the same spirit that empowered Babylon back in the day to create a tower on their own without God. It's that same spirit. It's in the world today, and it is it is exerting its influence to cause whatever need be that governments will align under one roof and that roof being the Antichrist. So we see that great authority is going to be, listen, given to him, given to him. Do you know that there's going to be a day when people run to him? There's going to be a day when people run to him because they don't have the answer for the instability in the world. Now, you need to hear that. There's going to be so much turmoil and so much uncertainty and so much instability that when somebody rises up with enough authority to tamper everything back down to normal so you can go to McDonald's again, people will run to them. We're seeing even, in, in you know, I'm not comparing this to that, but it's close. But we're seeing even right now that the government is telling people in certain states, you can't go to restaurants. And when people get too scared, they're going to look, as that old, old song says, in all the wrong places. Instead of flocking to churches, they're going to flock to the Antichrist. I'll show you later, if you're a member of the bride of Christ, if you're a member of the bride of Christ, you won't meet that fate. You'll be checked out of here. The, the, it's time, you know, that checkout time. When you go to a hotel, you got to check out at 11 o'clock. We, well, we don't know what time checkout is, but we know it's coming. And we're going to check out before he checks in. <laughs> but, but, but before that happens, we, we're going to see the stage being set for his authority to be exerted on the people of the world. And it is through peace, it is through peace that he's going to take power. He's going to promise peace and prosperity. When they say peace, peace, sudden destruction's coming, it says in Second First Thessalonians chapter 5. When, when, the, when, the, when they say peace, peace, look up, your redemption's drawing nigh. And in order for people to run, look, we're not willingly just going to give our lives away. I'm talking about the worldly people. It's going to take a lot of uncertainty. We're going to see continual uncertainty in stock markets, in the value of dollars, in jobs, in pestilences, in earthquakes, in wars, and rumors of wars. The more that these things go on, it's going to get so climactic that people will flock to this person. Now, how is that going to happen? Well, let's continue in this. Let's skip down to verse... Um, Verse number four, it says, they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. They worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who's able to make war with him? There was given unto him a mouth to speak great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue 42 months. Now, that's three and a half years. 
Whenever we read over there in Daniel chapter 9, we we read that that last seven-year window, there's something that happens in the midst of it or the middle of it. How many of y'all want to take a guess at what half of seven years is? Three and a half years. So we're, we're lining up with what Daniel said. This 40 and two months is the midst that Daniel spoke of in the midst of the seven years. So this is what's coming. This is what's coming. Let's continue in. What happens at that midpoint? What happens at that midpoint? That three and a half year window, that midst that Daniel spoke of. Verse six, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. That's the abomination of desolation. He's going to blaspheme God, set himself up as God in the temple of God at the three and a half year mark of the last seven years. So we have a a point of reference that Jesus spoke of in Matthew 24, that Daniel spoke of in Daniel 9, and that we see here in Revelation 13. We see the same point of reference in three different passages. That point of reference is the abomination of desolation, and so we know that this is what's coming for the world. This is what's coming for the world. So when somebody says, where is the world headed, we know that it's headed to this point. We, we don't know if the dollar bill is going to crash. We don't know if the stock market's going to come back. We don't know how many pestilences are going to come. But we know that it's going to dovetail into this event. Along the way of this event, other events happen. So now that we know we're in the same ballpark, let's talk about the ballpark. When the Antichrist rises, he's not going to arise by himself. We see first that Lucifer, Satan, gives him power, gives him a seat. He's given great authority. That's the governmental powers. And he's given the ability to make war with the saints of God. In the middle of that, that, that seven-year window, things change. He comes the first half speaking peace and the second half seeking to make war with the bride of Christ. Let's look at verse 7. This is immediately after he opens his mouth and blasphemes God. Verse 7, it was given unto him to make war with the saints to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So we see that in this time period it's different because the people that are on earth in this hour are going to be manhandled by the Antichrist. They're going to be like lambs led to the slaughter. This time period is 
a little bit different because one thing that you should see is that it, it is this last seven-year window of God's judgment on Israel. That 70 weeks of judgment that God spoke about in Daniel was God judging Israel. And when God judges Israel, he's going to take the church out. He never pours out judgment on his people. And when his judgment is done being poured out on Israel, he's going to receive them back to himself. That's going to be the time that Christ returns on foot here on earth. And then all Israel will turn to him. But they're going to experience the wrath of rejecting the Messiah for this seven years. And when God pours out that wrath, he's going to take his bride out of the way. Just like when God poured out wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, he took out Lot and his family. Just like when God poured out judgment on the old earth, he took out Noah and his family. Every time, just like whenever Jericho was destroyed, God took out Rahab the harlot. Every time God moves in wrath on a people, he will remove his people. And so we see that this time is going to be unlike any other. And like I said a while ago, the Antichrist is not by himself. He has a, 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 a partner in crime. That partner in crime is what we know of as the false prophet. The false prophet rises up and does some unique things. Now, he's motivated by ungodly satanic power. And, and one of the things that you have to know is that that power has always been around, even whenever Moses was um, before Pharaoh, um, the, the devil empowered by magical uh, forces, the magicians of Pharaoh's court. And false prophets have false power, but it is a real power. Just because something is spiritual doesn't mean it's from God. You have to get that. You can say, oh, it was spiritual. It's a blessing. No, no. Just because it's spiritual don't mean it's from God. There was a spirit empowering the magicians of Pharaoh's court but you didn't see Moses bowing, bowing down to him. He stood up to him. And when you see people motivated and moving in a false spirit, you should do the same thing. And this false prophet rises up. Let's look at verse 13. It's amazing. It says that he, he doeth great wonders so that he make fire come down from heaven and on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Now listen to that. There is a false prophet who's able to perform miracles. Miracles. These miracles, if they were performed in our day, would lead to a mass crusade. And in that day, it'll do the same. Somebody's able to call down fire from heaven. 
they're going to have the biggest following on Facebook. Don't question whether it's of God. We don't have time for that. We don't have time to test what they say against God's word. We don't have time to test them against scripture. We don't have time for to look at them and discern by the spirit. If they move in miracles, we're going to flock to them. That's what would happen today, and that's what's going to happen then. And it says that he deceives. That's what every false prophet does. Act like a lamb. They're actually a devouring lion. There's something else he does. It says in verse, uh, let's continue on. It says that um, he, he deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So this false prophet, who is miraculous, is going to make an image, and he's going to be able to give, quote, unquote, life to that image. That image is going to be so filled with with ungodly life that if you don't worship it, it's going to make sure you die. That's what the Bible says. And so this image that is set up by this false prophet is there to cause people to worship just like the devil desired Jesus to do in the desert. Worship me and all I have will be yours. That promise back then will be the same promise during this seven years. You worship the beast, you worship the beast and all that he has will be yours. Here's what's sad. In our day, in our day, we see the end coming. We see the birth pains. We see the beginning of that end. We're seeing right now empty shelves at grocery stores for a pandemic. But the Bible calls it a pestilence. How much more when this happens? If you think people won't sell their lives for food, look around you. They will sell their lives for toilet paper. And when it comes to this point, the, the enemy is, is, is devilish. His desire is to get people to worship the devil. His desire is to get people to worship the image. I want you to got to get this. Listen to this. Listen right here. It says that af after that, he causes all. Somebody say all for me. All right. You know in the Bible, all means all, right? Does it? Okay. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. 
Can we say it like this? American and Mexican and Korean and Russian and Chinese and Canadian and African and Vietnamese and Japanese and Indian and French and German, all. The authority that he has is on the whole world. This is why he has to first get great authority governmentally over the whole earth. Then he grabs it by the throat and he causes all, small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell save that he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, if all it took, now right now you can't buy toilet paper if you go to the store or water or Lysol. And, and, and if all it took was for you to get a little chip in you or get a little mark put on you, either your hand or your forehead, if that's all it took, we got some in the back. We don't have any on the shelf. We got some in the back. All you got to do is just get this stamp put on you. That's all you got to do. If that's all it took, how many people would do that today? And this is before all of these events. People would do it today. If you don't think so, you're lying to yourself. We've never seen Americans act like they're acting right now. They acting, they acting like it's, it, it's Black Friday, but about toilet paper and water and Lysol. And when the ability, listen, when, when this person says you cannot touch your bank account anymore, you go to pull your, your debit card out your pocket, it don't work. It's locked till you get this mark. You're not going to be able to pay Swebco. You're not going to be able to have water. You're not going to be able to take a bath. You're going to get locked out your house. You're not going to get your car repoed. You're not going to be able to buy gas. You're not going to be able to buy bread. You're not going to be able to do nothing. You're not even going to be able to go down the road and buy tomatoes from the farmer because you're not going to be able to access your cash. Cash won't work anymore in this system. And what's going to happen, it'll all go away if you take the mark. If you think about it, just right now, when you go into those stores and all those shelves are empty, that sinking feeling that hits our flesh, when you know if that store told you, we have some in the back. All you got to do is fill out this card, take this stamp, take this mark. That's all you got to do. We'll give you three months worth of toilet paper, three months worth of Lysol, three months worth of water. You know you need the water. A lot of people today would take it. What we're seeing today is a conditioning of the population to receive the mark. We're seeing the population be conditioned. When this transpires, it's going to be 
Well, this is just like that last time. It's just now we got to take the mark, speed up the process. It's going to go seamlessly. We're being conditioned as we speak. Now, one of the things that, that we need to point out here is that this mark is a definite seal of your destruction. Don't let somebody lie to you and tell you you can take the mark of the beast and then repent for it. It's not happening. How do we know it's not happening? Next chapter tells us. You just move over just a little bit. We'll show you real quick. The reason that I'm telling you this is because that there is at least one uh, big name preacher in America that teaches you can take the mark of the beast and repent. But the Bible just, you go one chapter over, tells a different story. That's why I'm telling you this. Look in Revelation 14, beginning in verse number nine. It says, the third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So there is a, a for real possibility that the population is being conditioned to receive this mark which seals them for eternal damnation. And we're seeing a conditioning in our lifetime. Now, we don't know that the Lord's going to return in our lifetime. We're not date setters or time setters, but we see prophetically what's going on. And we're seeing a conditioning of the people of the world. This is happening worldwide, by the way. This is happening worldwide. It's going on everywhere. And you might say, it's just a sickness. It's just a pest. Yeah, it is just a sickness, just a pestilence. But the enemy is using it for his means. He, the enemy is using it as a means to his end game. An overreach. The government's telling restaurants you can't open, telling churches you can't have church, telling people you can't go to school, telling this, telling that. It's just a conditioning. It's a conditioning. You, you, you see a similarity of what things will be like in this time period. But I have good news for you. You don't have to go through this time period. You don't have to go through this time period. 
You don't have to experience one day under the rule or thumb of the Antichrist. You don't have to experience one hour of the Antichrist terror or his power. How is that? God's promise, his promise. Let's go look in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you have to look at context because 2 Thessalonians is written in response to the rapture. When the apostle Paul wrote about the rapture, and, and that, that is a correct word, it means simply catching away. It means catching away. When he wrote about the rapture, it so stirred up the church that they stopped working. They stopped everything because they were ready to go right then. So the apostle Paul had to write and say, hold on, before this happens, some other things got to happen. Then this is going to happen. So you got to keep on. So he says in verse 3, 2 Thessalonians verse 3, let no man deceive you by any means. How amazing is it? Now, you, 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 you need to start putting these things together. Jesus, when he spoke of the end times, he said, don't be deceived. Paul, speaking of the last days, he's saying, let no man deceive you. Our ears should be perking up saying, hold on. When it comes to these things, it's easy to be misled. So we should pay extra attention to these events so that we know what the Lord says, not what a man says. So he said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he is God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now, if I had to ask you if that sounded like possibility of the abomination of desolation, just one more description of it, would you say yes? That's probably our fourth reference for the abomination of desolation. So we see that's kind of an anchor for the end days, don't we? And that anchor for the end days is situated firmly in a seven-year span. So it says in verse 5, Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things. Do you want to say, well, how we got to learn those things? Well, Apostle Paul taught it to the church back then. It's, it's a shame that, that we don't know it now. People want to talk about everything else, but Apostle Paul said, I told you this stuff, and he's telling them again. So it, it's, it's through repetition that we gain understanding sometimes. Um, remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things, and now you know what withhold it that he might be revealed in his time. So he told them, you know, now you know what withholds so that he can be revealed. 
what was it, what was the big climactic event that Paul wrote about? It was the rapture. It was the rapture. First Thessalonians 4. It was the rapture. He said, now you know what withholdeth. Then he'll be revealed. Look, now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work only. He who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Before that wicked one, that's a capital W, that shows you he's talking about the Antichrist. He's talking about that one that is empowered by the devil. Before he's revealed, he that let it will let until he's taken out of the way. Who gets taken out? The church gets taken out in the rapture. The church gets taken out of the way and then the Antichrist is revealed and he has a seven-year reign that he's able to rule on this earth and then the Lord comes and consumes him. And you'll find that in Revelation chapter 19 and in Revelation chapter 20. The, the beautiful part about this is that he that let it will let. That's an older word. Um, one of the easiest ways to understand it is to watch tennis. If you don't understand, you say, oh, it's King James, I don't understand it. Watch tennis, okay? Now, I know they're not playing right now. Hopefully, the sports world will come alive again. We'll see. But if you ever get an opportunity to watch tennis, if a ball hits the net, the umpire says, let ball. Now, I didn't know that because I'm not a tennis expert. I learned that later. Let ball means hindered. It, it hit and it's been hindered. It, that's what it means. It's just a hindrance. So when he says, he that let it will let, that means he that's hindering. He that's in the way will stay in the way until he's taken out of the way. Now, we know that this is not the Holy Spirit. How do we know it's not the Holy Spirit? Because people still get saved during the tribulation. Can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that communicates the gospel to the heart. The Holy Spirit is the one who's bringing the word, causing revelation to happen. The Holy Spirit is the one who's bringing the grace of God to people. It is that, so we know, it's talking about the church. The, the church is called the bride, but we also know that, that church is sometimes a he. You can look at whenever Jesus talked about the virgins. Remember the ten virgins, five wise, five foolish? He never said they were girls. Think about it. He never said they were girls. So when, when you talk about this, you, you can talk about different ways, but understand that the letting is the hindering. The church is in the way, meaning God's not going to pour out and allow tribulation on the earth until his people get taken out of the way. We are actually standing in the gap. We are actually standing in the way. 
once we're taken out of the way, you can go back to the book of Revelation, start in chapter 4 and move forward, and what you'll see is, is bowls and trumpets and vials of judgment being poured out on the earth. You're going to see angels falling to the earth, stars falling to the earth, creatures coming out of the earth. You're going to see uh, rivers of blood. You're going to see locusts on the earth. You're going to see people desiring to die and not able to die, praying to die and not able to die because of the time uh, uh, being so horrible. And all of that judgment is unlike any other judgment the earth has ever seen or ever will see. It is the last seven years is when God's wrath of Christ being rejected is unleashed. The, the Messiah was rejected. The earth will pay for that. And if you're in Christ, you're standing in the way. And when the Lord is ready, he's going to take you out of the way and he's going to allow all these judgments to fall upon this earth. And when those seven years are complete, he's going to return and reestablish the kingdom for a thousand years, the millennial reign. You can read that back in Revelation. Amen? We're, where we are is we're being conditioned. That's where we are. Where are we headed? We headed for the rapture. That's where we're headed. The, the, the Lord says that, and one of the things that you need to understand too is there's a difference between the return and the rapture. In the rapture, the Lord stops in the air. The Bible says we're going to be caught up in the air. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. The return of the Lord is after the marriage supper of the Lamb. You go read Revelation 19, you'll see that. And at that time, the saints of God return to the earth with Jesus. When Jesus returns to the earth, he actually sets foot on the earth, fulfilling Zechariah 14 earthquake on the Mount of Olives, reshaping the landscape of Jerusalem, and then establishing a new temple, it's Ezekiel's temple, and a new kingdom that's the millennial kingdom. That's what's coming. And, and so there's, we have to understand there's a difference between the return and the rapture, and that difference is seven years. It's not just any ordinary seven years. It is a tribulation but it's not the world pouring out tribulation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. If you want to read on that, that's in Jeremiah uh, chapter 30. It's kind of unique. Whenever the Lord talks about the time of Jacob's trouble, he talks about a, a man being bowled over with his hands on his hips like he's giving birth. And in the time of Jacob's trouble, no man can buy or sell. There's going to be famine. There's going to be a shortage of food. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be at wit's end. And that's going to be a time you don't have to face. Amen.
Well, praise the Lord.